More myopia is going to be, or myopia is going to be more prevalent in people who have lower incomes. That would kind of fly in the face of that. Yeah, I think it's bimodal. I think there's two peaks that in the middle it dips a little bit, but at, at the mm. uh, poverty level and at uh, the more wealthy level, you're going to see spikes in, in myopia. Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Ron Kreffman. We discussed data analytics within how do we know what we're doing and what approach we're taking to our patients in our specific geographic areas. Uh, I had a, a, the pleasure of meeting Dr. Kreffman a few weeks back at Vision Expo West and he sort of captured my, my thinking about some of these things and it's been a lot of fun to pick his brain a little bit more. Please enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends and support those who support us. I want to discuss the MyDay Toric contact lens for a minute. When I'm reaching for a daily lens for my patients, I need to know that it will be available in the parameters I want, and it also needs to work. This improves my chair time and my patient satisfaction. The MyDay Toric lens features the same optical lens design features as the most prescribed monthly replacement Toric lens on the market, the Biofinity Toric. MyDay Toric now completely mirrors Biofinity Toric's parameter range, and to be clear, this means that if you can find a parameter in the Biofinity Toric, you can find it in the MyDay Toric. This Toric lens design is multifaceted to ensure optimal visual acuity, lens stability, fit, and comfort. Its uniform horizontal ISO thickness and wide ballast band quickly orient the lens for better performance and simplified fitting processes. When prescribing MyDay contact lenses, you can feel confident about your environmental impact because for every MyDay contact lens sold in the United States, CooperVision's partner, Plastic Bank, collects and converts an equal amount of ocean-bound plastic through their global network. The MyDay Multifocal and MyDay Toric contact lenses will provide your patients with great vision quality and comfortable lens experience, all while making a difference in our environment. So if you haven't started utilizing MyDay Multifocal in your practice, I'd encourage you to reach out to your CooperVision representative to get started. As you know, patients with vitreous floaters are often frustrated by their symptoms. The challenge as clinicians is to offer solutions for our patients for vitreous floaters that are effective. But more often than not, the options of YAG vitreolysis and vitrectomy are not practical because the benefits don't outweigh the risks. That's where Vitreous Health from MacuHealth comes into play. Previously on the podcast, I've discussed the flies study with Dr. John Nolan, and the bottom line is that I can be confident prescribing this for my patients with floaters because I can tell them a large randomized placebo-controlled trial found that after six months of supplementation with Vitreous Health, floaters were reduced in size by approximately 30% and 70% of patients had an improvement in their symptoms. Vitreous Health has been great for my patients, and we really feel like we have a viable option to treat patients with vitreous floaters now that we didn't have before. If you're not utilizing Vitreous Health for your patients, reach out to your Macchia Health representative now. So tell me a little bit about, Ron, your history in the profession and actually your migration from clinical practice into evaluating data. And, and the data component really speaks to me. And when you and I met at Vision Expo West, uh, you had me at 
well, we look at trends based on this information. And then I, then you, you captured me. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so the, the history of my career, um, went to ICO, graduated in 78, no secret, I'm an old guy. Um, my first position in practice was in an academic setting at the University of Illinois Eye and Ear Infirmary, the biggest ophthalmology department in the country at that time. And uh, it was a very well-run program. Mort Goldberg was the uh, head ophthalmologist there, went to Wilmer Eye Institute after that. And very prolific uh, author and researcher in uh, retina. And uh, as the staff optometrist, I was training the ophthalmologists in optics and refraction and got into research and publishing articles, case studies, but um, uh, also uh, migrated into, um, well, was there a couple years, went into private practice and um, the research continued on a kind of optometry um, product basis in terms of looking at um, the efficacy of different products and comparing um, performance of different products. And uh, I was a clinical investigator. Can you give me an example, Ron, of like the kind of products you were comparing back there? When so it was, con it, yeah, it was con contact or... lenses uh, as okay. they were looking for FDA approval, uh, part of the clinical trials. But um, I worked with Essilor and brought that same randomized controlled double blind clinical trial concept to spectacle lenses and ran I think it was a 500 person study published it in the now defunct AOA journal uh, but it was peer reviewed at the time and it was a large um, study on uh, the effectiveness of Verilux Comfort when they were first launching that it turned out to be one of their more successful products in their history and um, that study served as a basis for you know kind of educating the industry about this new technology at the time in in comfort lenses and it for me it just opened up some um, opportunities to consult on um, testing new products in the spectacle lens category um, i continued as a an investigator uh, with contact lens studies but i was the principal investigator for Essilor for that study and a couple of others that I, I done afterwards. Then um, stayed in private practice, eventually left private practice and uh, I was actually operating a an over-the-counter reading glass company called iMagine, which um, my idea was to bring the uh, progressive lens technology to reading glass category. Uh, as a Plano ad uh, lens for over-the-counter use, and um, you know, because of the PD issues and and the and the height issues, it was a challenge. But uh, we had a lot of success with uh, innovative folding glasses and uh, other items with iMagine. And I, um, in addition to running clinical trials, working with data. Um, and doing statistical analysis and outcomes analysis for those clinical trials. When I was running the over-the-counter reading glass company, I was working with huge data sets because our customers were Walmart, Target. And so I was dealing with huge, huge data sets 
and doing analytics on you know what's selling best in a given store, um, that sort of thing. I got out of that business because it was very, um, very competitive. There's some public money available, and um, so anyways. What, what I, do you mean I, by wait wait public public money available? Explain that. So well, so foster grants have access to. Yeah, Foster Grant um, at the time was a publicly traded corporation, and I'm competing with them for shelf That's space. That's by public money. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Competing with them for shelf space in a Target or Walmart, and it's just uh, my pockets weren't deep enough to compete with that. So I, I gently uh, sold off the inventory and got out of that company cleanly, uh, and said, you know, the data that I learned from that experience as well as my previous iteration with clinical trials. And in the meantime, I had been editor for some journals and doing a lot of peer reviewing. Um, I said, I just want to concentrate on the data aspect of it. At that point, I had already sold my private optometry practice to a terrific associate who's still running it today and uh, nicely successful with it. Uh, and I just concentrated with this new business called Focal Center, where I just do data analytics for the industry. And so that's been oh, over 15 years. And um, I've consulted with a lot of different stakeholders in the uh, optometry space, vision industry, if you will, um, including um, some of the major um, suppliers to the industry as well as private equity groups, uh, retailers, um, trade associations. And typically I'm analyzing their existing data to help them understand and gain insights from the data on, on either trends or gaps uh, to help drive their business. Or um, I'm helping find outside data to help them um, optimize their business or, or plan and strategize. So um, I think our meeting at uh, Vision Expo West, we were talking about myopia and geoanalytics. So uh, of late, I focused a lot on geoanalytics, and that's um, kind of taking a location of something and understanding everything around it. And uh, that includes the, the consumers and their profile, the competitors nearby, um, and understanding um, where there are opportunities or gaps on a, uh, on a geographic basis. And that's been used by um, many organizations in the industry. Um, I know Vision Source has their own uh, location um, modeling for trade area analysis, and uh, many of the chains have been using that for a long time. And outside of optometry, obviously, all sorts of chains are, are using that to understand where to open a new store and what's the demographics nearby and what's the, uh, if we know the profile of consumers from our success in other locations, can we find the best match for that in a new location where we see a void? Um, so what I've done at, at Focal Center is brought that to an individualized report for a given practice um, that maybe isn't a member of Vision Source or isn't part of a chain that wants their own independent report. They can't afford to hire a big market research firm, 
but I have a um, uh, kind of a canned approach where if I collect an address from someone, I can create a very detailed 10-page demographic report outlining all sorts of details about their trade area, who the consumers are, and um, it advises them really, um, is this a good spot for me to either open or relocate to? Or if it's an existing location, understanding is my current patient uh, database, and you could you know mine your your EHR system and understand who your patients are, where what what are the zip code, what are the counts of patients by zip code, and see if you're really matching what the true uh, trade area looks like. Maybe you're drawing from an area that's um, you know concentrated, and you're missing some opportunities. So that's kind of my latest and greatest effort in, in in a very microscopic level. No, I think that's that's really interesting. I think the part that interests me so much is this diving deep into understanding analytics related to your specific practice and mirroring or overlying that with analytics of what you know about your community. That's what really kind of intrigued me in the conversation is, um, you know, I could actually know if I understood prevalence data, if I understood prevalence data about certain disease states and I understood the population that surrounds my practice, then I could actually evaluate, am I, is my practice either speaking to that, those patients with those disease states accurately or, or am, I, and am I detecting those patients accurately and appropriately in my practice? Uh, meaning that I have a representative number of those patients in my practice with diagnosis codes, et cetera, versus, you know, and starting to tease through the, those practice, practice data um, so that I can be confident that I have, uh, that I'm doing what I should be doing for those patients based on that prevalence data. But also, um, if I am, um, I can then really quickly know, or I can maybe not quickly, but I can assess whether or not adding new technology or adding new treatment options or specialty areas in my practice actually makes sense based on the prevalence data of my surrounding community. So that's where my mind went after your, your discussion related specifically to myopia, but also how could you use this to apply to other communities uh, around around you. And and I think the comment I made, what was interesting to me is when I looked at like, you know, I, I, the, de the analysis that I had done on my practice related to myopia was not as detailed as the analysis that you do at Focal Center for myopia. But I had I had kind of looked at like, well, well, we have a, a you know, I would say that we have a, a pretty good myopia management practice, but I'm often wondering in my patient population, why, like, where are all these myopic kids going? Because it just seems like I get this flood of hyperopic children and every now and then you get these myopes and then you could do a lot about them, but, but we're just, I just keep seeing hyperopes. I'm not seeing as many, like in the number of patients that I see, I'm always like, man, the, I'm still seeing hyperopes. Great. And so I think it'd be fa a fallacy for me to say, well, I'm doing such a great job for my patients that they're not getting myopic, right? I don't think that's it. I think, so, so then I started kind of parsing through some of the data we have within Vision Source to say, well, you know, what's the populations that are high, highest risk? So how many, how many people, you know, in a specific household within one mile and three miles and five miles around my practice? And, um, and what are the ethnicities of those populations? What I found really quickly, which was what I thought was very interesting was 
if you looked at um, the number of children within a, like a one mile radius of my practice, there's not that many. There's really not that many at all. Even if you look out to a five mile radius, there's more. But but uh, but then you look at like an Asian population, for example, within a five mile radius of, of my practice, it's like maybe 300 households in total Asian population right around my um, right around my practice. And then you and then you start kind of figuring out like how many kids that that is it's like, all right, well, that's not that many kids, really. Um, yeah. They're at highest risk. So that kind of stuff was really helpful for me to start thinking about, well, uh, maybe I go outside of my practice area to to start marketing or advertising, uh, letting getting the, the you know awareness out. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so I, 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 I think uh, you're, you're applying the right analysis, but I think your metric of five miles is, is very small. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, typically, um, the, the traditional approach to um, a trade area is a 20-minute drive time for running errands, and that's kind of maps out um, where uh, a given let's call it a retail location, has um, a reachable market. I think we can extend that for healthcare beyond what, in, and I haven't found any really good studies that look how far people are willing to drive for healthcare. Um, I, I'm recalling one, but I, I, I don't think it, it informed me that much beyond the 20 minutes for standard, you know, everyday shopping items. But let, let's safely assume that someone is willing to go 30 minutes uh, for healthcare. For myopia control, they, it's probably beyond 30 minutes. But I do conservatively build a myopia model report for a given practice with a 30-minute drive time radius. And that typically includes more than 10 zip codes. There's typically... Off the top of my head, I think it's at least a few thousand people per zip code. So I think your five-mile um, limit is not realistic. I think a 30-minute limit probably goes way beyond five miles, depending on, you know, uh, I, I build it for the that average. That would encompass, and I actually agree with you. You know, I look at, we've done a, we're going to move our practice, our physical location of our practice. We've done a scatter plot about where our patients come from. And you're right. Mm -hmm. I mean, a 30 minute radius or a 30 minute drive time to my office is all of Omaha, right? It's a million, it's a million people right. uh, within Omaha get a 30 minute drive time to my office. And so, and that's actually what we see when we do a scatter plot of where our patients come from. They are really all over Omaha. The only thing I can see about looking at that data is basically once you are on the interstate, you do not have a, uh, the only thing that's consistent within like what could draw them it's like once you're on the interstate, uh, you can be to my office in two stoplights, right? One to get off of this main thoroughfare and one to, to turn onto the street, right? So two stoplights. So, so anyway, my point is, is I think you're right. I think we have a huge draw. It's way bigger than that five mile radius. So yeah, so, that makes so where that takes you is that your marketing efforts need to not be so constrained to a five mile, you know, limit including if you were to put up a billboard outdoor advertising on that highway of, about myopia or something, it doesn't have to be five miles away from your office. I, I think it can be uh, much broader than that. So that's interesting. So Ron, then how do you, 
how do you approach practices that would say, I'm going to, I want to open more locations. Like if, if you're talking like in Omaha, Nebraska, why would I ever, if, if this is the case, why wouldn't I just grow a bigger physical plant uh, as opposed to growing a lot of smaller plants? What would be the case for that? Yeah. So I did an, uh, an interesting analysis for someone in a, in a dense uh, metropolitan area uh, in the Northwest and uh, they had three locations in that. And when we drew the 30-minute polygons, there was a lot of overlap. And eventually, I think they shut down one of the offices because they were cannibalizing their own business. Um, and so they went from three down to two. And there was still some overlap, but not as much. And, you know, the one reached a little further northwest and the other a little, you know, southeast or what, however, um, the crows fly, you know, these polygons are interesting because, as you mentioned, with highways, um, that considers, you know, speed of traffic and traffic conditions, average over all times. And so you see these irregular polygons because there's a highway going way out and you can get there in 10 minutes if you take this highway, where on the other side mm. of the map, maybe it's it's a much shorter uh, edge to the polygon because it's all stoplights and stop signs and more traffic. Um, so, yeah, in terms of finding voids and opening new practices, you do have to, I think, scatter plots a, a, a great way to approach it um, and see where those points get a little thinner and the outside margins and say, okay, we're going to cannibalize a little bit, but this would be a good spot to um, for a second office and we're going to draw from way outside of our existing scatter plot. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, it, it actually, um, I hadn't ever thought about you, the drive time aspect of it before, although I, I certainly should have. Um, but the, but that really starts to make you think hard about multiple offices in cities. Not that you shouldn't do it, but, but that it may, it really, you really need to analyze a number of different factors uh, if you have a city that's relatively easy to commute in or or there are areas within the city that you already have an easy commute to. So so if, as an example, you know, there are certain as you're talking about this right now, like if I went for way further south, if I was west of where my office is and probably six miles south, that would be on the edge of that 30 minute drive time because there's not a ton of easy ways to get there. Um, but if I'm but if I go you know, north, north and south by two miles, uh, and then east and west by probably 20 miles, maybe 25 miles, you can get to my office in 30 minutes. So, right. um, so now, I, now if I'm thinking about opening another practice based on this conversation, it wouldn't be west 10 miles or east 10 miles. It might be north or south five miles. Uh, and mm -hmm. now, now I have different patient population because of that drive time. Super interesting. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The, the other I'm sure thing, most people don't have their mind blown that easily, but that's very interesting to me. <laughs> the, the other thing that um, we were very specific here talking about myopia. And again, I, I it, it could be that beyond a 30 minute drive time. But here's the thing about about this this whole uh, area of myopia versus just a general practice or, um, you know, some other concentration, say for dry eye or whatever it might be is you have to consider the awareness of consumers around this 
and um, how you build that and the adoption that they're willing to, you know, take this on. So it gets, it can get complex quickly. So myopia, you know, I think the, the statistics show that it's probably um, the adoption is going to be higher in areas with higher income. And the uh, prevalence of it is going to be higher, perhaps in areas with lower income. So there's a little bit of a discrepancy there, and you have to mm. weigh some of these things. And, um, you know, again, if there's not a whole lot of adoption, could you become the premier go-to practice for a give, given category or specialty uh, and increase that drive time to, you know, 60 minutes? Had someone heard about it, they understand it, they're willing to drive so all those factors play in. So it's not just the drive time, but it's exactly what are you focusing on and what do you want to build? Why do you think, Ron, so this is a little counter, you know, um, I've seen studies where there's a, a correlation. I don't think it's a causation specifically, but I think there's a correlation between income and myopia amount. And I think that correlation is more related to the types of jobs that you know, higher earners have a lot of near work activities. Yeah. Children are spending a lot of time. But why, why you made the comment that you, you suspect that more myopia is going to be, or myopia is going to be more prevalent in people who have lower incomes. That would kind of fly in the face of that. Yeah, I think it's bimodal. I think there's two peaks that in the middle, it dips a little bit, but at, at the mm. um, poverty level and at uh, the more wealthy level, you're going to see spikes in, in myopia. And when I say spikes, it's, um, you know, it would be speculation on my part, but yeah, uh, yeah. I, I would say at the high income level, I think you, you identified that, you know, maybe they're doing excess reading, they're playing more video games, they're um, more near work. At the um, poverty level line, it, it could be nutritionally related or... Mm -hmm. I, 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 it's speculation. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to go I, down I do know in adults. it could be, it could be even be that, you know, we know that patients who have uncorrected myopia are going to progress more rapidly in their, uh, in their myopia than those that have it corrected, fully corrected. Mm -hmm. uh, so that could be it as well. Right. Yep, and and yep. that could just be a function of not so much like what you're talking about uh, of nutrition, but it'd be a function of just lack of, uh, you know, a kid loses their glasses and their parents don't have the resources to buy them new ones and they just go under corrected for a longer period of time. That might drive it. Yep. I, I was just looking at uh, some data on myopia prevalence. Um, so this was, I'm looking at uh, vision loss, vision impairment, where it's best corrected vision is less than 2040. And this comes from some CDC data, Centers for Disease Control. Um, they have a vision um, surveillance system, and it's pretty comprehensive. But if you look at it by, and they have it even down to the county level, uh, vision loss. Um, I then applied, overlaid that with some statistics about what percentage of vision loss is associated with high myopia, and it's pretty high. It's around 30% or so worldwide. So if I take that fact and overlay the countywide vision uh, impairment 
there's a high, high correlation between counties with high levels of poverty and high levels of vision loss in, with myopia uh, or other diseases. So it's, it's vision impairment is tied to poverty. So, and this is in adults. So, you know, we're trying to catch it in kids. But the implication is if it's not caught in kids and they spend their lifetime getting worse and worse, by the time they're 60 or 70, there's a lot of people with vision impairment and vision loss from their high myopia. And if we understand the demographics of that, it is more based on, on poverty levels that it was ignored, it wasn't treated. Mm. And mm. That, again, at the child level, we may not see that discrepancy as much, but I have come across a study where uh, they had that that peak uh, by poverty level and by high income, and that in the middle there, there was less myopia. So those are two data points that you know in in childhood and then in adulthood with vision loss that that make me want to look at okay what what is the income level how does that relate to this. So I understand that you've got probably some NDAs involved, but you know I'm I'm uh, in independent practice, private practice. What are some of the things that you are seeing that private equity firms are interested in that you don't think that you think that you see independent practitioners um, missing? Like where are we missing the boat in terms of like data or understanding patient populations or asking questions about you know, eye care and optometric care specifically that private equity firms seem to have uh, a different handle on that we that we may be missing. Is there something that you, that comes to mind? Uh, I wish I could pinpoint something, but in terms of the demographic analysis I've done for some private equity firms and nothing pops up. It's just that the independents aren't doing that that sort of um, trade area analysis where the private equity firms are. Um, what kind so what has been yeah. surprising to you, like when you've analyzed data going in, because just like the, the myopia comment about poverty, as you say that it, it I definitely can see uh, was not part of my thinking, uh, but I can definitely see where that's an issue, not just from a functional standpoint in, in adults, but even in younger children. And even in this idea that, you know, and, I, and I've always tried to take the approach that myopia management should be accessible to patients, even at even who don't have all the resources as others, that's not as simple, um, but it means they may not have as, as many treatment options, but they can have right. some treatment options. Yep. The, um, but what else has been interesting to you when you've actually looked at data where you've taken a step back and like, holy cow, I wasn't expecting to see this? Um, in terms of... Uh... I mean, it could be I, anything. Yeah. yeah, something else. Yeah, that we're like, wow, this this changes this changes my perspective on what I thought we were doing. Like one of the one of the things that you you made a comment about. I'm not putting words in your mouth, but one of the things as you're thinking about this that um, I was intuitively and immediately said that's not that can't be accurate uh, was when we were discussing survey data from the profession that that said 67 percent of optometrists manage myopia and, 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 you know, immediately you and I kind of scoffed at that. Like, there's no way, there's no way that's accurate. 
unless you were saying, unless managing by managing myopia, you meant not you specifically, but this survey meant prescribing glasses and contact lenses. So is there something else that, 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 that you saw that was like that, that you're like, wow, that's amazing. That, um, was actual like data that you relied on, uh, or that the data you, you, uh, analyzed. Yeah, I, I think if you go through the GPN visions um, reports that I, that I do, um, and there's probably a dozen or more in there, you'll find some examples of that. I think one was around um, men purchasing eyewear and, you know, um, what the pre, the kind of, I, I don't know how to say it, the um, standard um that people, you know, the misconception people have about how to, how men purchase eyewear. I think there was some surprising findings in that. Um, what was that? What was that specifically off the top of the mind? Well, if I could, uh, it'll, it'll take too long, but I was going oh, to try. Okay. That's fine. So that's fine. You, we could reference that. That's okay. So what, what was the other one that was, that you were thinking about? Um, Sometimes I'm surprised where I think that there's a relationship and I dig into it and I don't find it. Um, one of the things I, I still am investigating is, is myopia, back to myopia, is myopia um, more prevalent in northern states where yeah. you would assume kids are indoors more because of the winter weather? And they're not spending as much time outdoors in the the lower half of the U.S. is myopia um, less prevalent. And I haven't found that, but <laughs> and I'm not sure I'm pulling the right data to look at it. And I haven't spent a lot of time on it, but my initial look at it was eh, there's nothing there. But mm. wouldn't logic, wouldn't you assume that maybe there would yeah. be something there? Yeah. Well, especially with when we talk about our onset studies of, of you know, outdoor activities and, and myopia. Um, yeah, that would be intuitive to think that, that would, they would have yeah. some sort of association. So I, I, I'd say I'd, I've had more surprises on not finding things than on, on finding <laughs> like, oh, here's something that's going to turn the world upside down. Uh, you know, this is conventional wisdom. This goes against it in all ways. It's usually not the case, but... Um, you know, I, I keep looking under rocks and trying to find that. The most common questions I get include, what ophthalmological codes or evaluation and management codes should I use? What ICD-10 codes do I need to build with this CPT code? What CPT codes can be built together and what can't? And my favorite, how do I manage a patient who has diabetes who comes in for a quote-unquote routine eye exam? These questions really highlight the confusion and uncertainty that serves as a daunting hurdle for providers, makes it more challenging for them to care for their patients, and provide those patients with the best opportunity for a lifetime of ocular health and clear vision. That's why we built iCode Education, for this specific purpose. Our mission is to provide optometrists with resources to help you understand disease states, revenue cycles, and billing and coding so that you can put that on autopilot and truly care for your patients. Check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E-Education.com. 
We've developed a premier billing and coding bundle that includes all of our billing and coding resources in one place. We also have a 10% discount code just for listeners of this podcast. Enter the coupon code E-Y-E-C-O-D-E-M-E-D-I-A-22 at checkout. We'd love to work with you. Check out iCodeEducation.com. Yeah, I like to look at like um, prescribing data. I like to look at uh, data that says like and billing data to see how optimal. Like that's my kind of my wheelhouse is like I, I listen to people talk about how they um, take care of patients, but but then I like to look at like I like to tease out data on um, on just like you can look at Medicare numbers about how many times you uh, a, a visual field is billed or how many times gonioscopy is billed or, uh, you know, looking at a, a distribution curve of nine, nine codes and um, kind of getting a sense of what is the profession really doing? Um, do you do any of that kind of stuff? Yes, I, I have. D- I've done some deep dives in the Medicare data. Yep. Um, what, not, what does it tell not, you? not as much at, at the code level, but just in terms of dollars and in markets um, and looking at, you know, the average per practice, that sort of thing. Um, what, what do you I haven't looked at it in, in a while, but uh, I, if you can point me as to are, are there some discrepancies that you found or some surprising mm-hmm. findings? No, I think what's I think what's most surprising to me is is like um, like. Well, well, gonioscopy was a really big surprise. Uh, and if you look at like gonioscopy billing data, I, I'm not sure either one, one of two things is happening when you actually search the, like the, um, the utilization of that. Um, and it's not just optometry, it's ophthalmology as well. It's like there's basically in, in any given state, the, the preponderance of like build gonioscopy codes it, it exists almost purely with uh, glaucoma specialists. And then when you search uh, general ophthalmologists and, um, and optometrists, it's just not being tracked. It, it just can't be being tracked accurately. Uh, so, so then I wonder about the, the rigor of that, that number. I mean, just like, for example, if I search myself on gonioscopy billing and I look at what was actually billed in my EHR um, versus what was billed to Medicare, uh, it's almost never, I mean, the spike is there, right? It does trend up when I, when I say, okay, I, I know how many uh, gonioscopies I bill, um, but it, it's not, you know, I'm not billing gonioscopy on just, just my Medicare patients, obviously, but the number would be way lower representative. So they're not capturing the data right. Uh, and I know I'm billing, I know my practice is billing every time I do it. The other thing I think about is like, are optometrists just not billing it? Like they're just not they're, They might be doing it, but they're not billing it. Um, so those are the kinds of things I think about. It's like, if this data isn't correct, why isn't it correct? Um, well, so let that's me one ask that you about that. Me. Yeah. I, sorry to interrupt. I, I was going to ask if um, your comparison to the publicly reported Medicare data, you know, that comes out, it's like embargoed for two years or, you know, a year and a half, whatever it is until they release it. So, Make sure you're comparing same time periods, and then are you from your EHR? Are you limiting it to just Medicare transactions? Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's uh, it, it is 
unusual that um, if I limit it to just Medicare transactions, it gets closer, but, um, but it doesn't still give me entirely accurate data. But, but because of that, when I look at, so I, so the point is it gets closer to the number. It's not entirely accurate, but the, um, but the, the, if that's the case, then the population across the board is either not doing or not billing for gonioscopy, even though, cause it gets me closer. It's very close, but it's not entirely accurate. Um, but, but if I look at everybody else, it's like, even if it gets them close and isn't entirely accurate, it's still way lower than you'd expect based on our clinical practice guidelines. Yeah. And, and what about total dollars, Medicare? Have you looked at that for your practice over its matching time periods? Uh, yeah, it's pretty accurate. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, obviously I haven't looked in under the hood at an individual practice. I'm working with the global Medicare data. Um, so it's interesting to hear your comparison of your practice to what's reported fr from your practice in Medicare. You know, one of the, um, you, you talk about surprises and, you know, finding nuggets in the data. Uh, when the Medicare data was first released a few years back or longer, um, I started looking at it. And the reason that they put this out there and, and it rang true when I looked at it was to find outliers. And um, unfortunately, Medicare is using this as a tool um, or fortunately a tool to find, um, you know, fraud and government waste in Medicare billings. Uh, obviously, it has a lot more purposes, but that was one of the primary reasons for utilizing this data is to kind of out the people. I found a couple <laughs> of optometry practices that were like such outliers in their billing. I didn't call them out on it, but... Um, it, it was apparent and obvious in the data that, and they had like a very unusual, very high procedure. And I can't remember what it was. I mean, this goes back five years or more. Um, and they were doing like thousands of these. It's like, what? Yeah. How does that even happen? But, you know, and that was why the Medicare data was brought out. I'm sure there's probably less of that now that, you know, it's it's publicly reported and and people are more mindful of that. But um, that, that was a surprise. Yeah, I mean, those are always surprises. And, and like, I, you know, I remember re reading of, a, you know, an ophthalmologist in Florida. I mean, they, they put him in jail mm -hmm. for I can't remember how many years, but he was, you know, he was overbilling. Uh, it was injections, you know, he was a right, dental right. surgeon. And, uh, you know, you get those kinds of cases. Um, I know they exist in our profession. They generally are a lot, seem like they're, it's, it's a lot lower of a, you know. Oh, it, it, a, it was it was way less than one percent that you know, and th oh, yeah. this was like, if you did a scatter plot, this was like a dot that was such an outlier, <laughs> so far away from all the other dots that it's like, okay, there's something either this is wrong data or this is fraud. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so uh, I want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything that I'm missing that you think this is something you should be thinking about, Chris, when you're thinking about analyzing data, basically geographic uh, data or, um, or data related to disease state that you're like, this is really helpful. We do this well. Um, what do you think about that? 
So there's a couple tools on my website, focalcenter.com, that um, one is a trade area analysis and the other is a myopia analysis that uh, take deep dives on a, an individual location that, that look into that. And there's all sorts of metrics. So, yeah, that's that's my current thinking on, on that. It, this may expand to either other categories or disease states, but for now it's it's limited to myopia or just a generalized trade area. Awesome. Well, Dr. Ron Kreffman, thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. And, uh, and let me know if there's anything I can do for you. Thank you, Chris. I really enjoyed it. <laughs>